So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due, us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some might say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. It's great to be with you, and as um, as uh, Scott mentioned earlier on, that we're we're all about um, these last last week and these four weeks, thinking about who we are as a church, what matters to us, uh, what do we really care about. Um, in a nutshell, putting meat on the bones to the banners that are that are beside us. So let me uh, ask God to help us do that again today, because today what we're really doing is we're really considering the very heart and focus that we need to have. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together uh, in fellowship, uh, encourage one another, and to consider your word. Wherever we're at with you, Lord, whether we're just wondering whether you even exist to uh, seeking to live uh, for you day by day, help us to Consider your word, uh, and by your spirit, uh, be transformed by it. Amen. Um, let me tell you about a buddy uh, of mine, a uh, buddy of mine who um, I, I play uh, golf with. He's, he's, he's a good mate, and uh, we, we, we try and play golf together, uh, but we haven't played for a while, and he, and he rung me up, and he said, I've got this idea, and I like it when he has ideas, because they're usually golf-related, uh, but he said... At our, at our golf club, um, when someone joins, 
you don't really know anyone and no one kind of really says hello to you. It's kind of friendly in passing, but it's really hard to join up and play with someone. You don't get an opportunity to play with anyone. And I was wondering whether maybe we should do something about that and welcome people who come. And maybe on Thursdays when we try and play, which is maybe every two out of four weeks or whenever, maybe we'll have a space specifically for a new person and so to introduce them to us, get to know us and, and, and let them kind of feel part of the golf club instead of it just being a, uh, a place where you hit a ball, it's actually a place where people like to hang out together and make it a part of a community. That's a brilliant idea. It's a great idea. Uh, it's actually uh, happening already. He mentions it to me and now it's already happening and, and people are, are being connect, connected in. That, that's just great. But it's just for a golf club. Why would we bother with that attitude here? Why would we bother welcoming our community. I trust that some of you were the community at some point and you felt welcome enough to stay and if you're here for the first time today, that, that's you, I, I hope you feel that way. Why do we bother, as it says on the banner over there, connect with our community? It's because today we see the priority of Jesus shapes our priority at Grove. And the priority of Jesus, what we'll actually see it, we'll see it from how Paul sees Jesus and how it shapes him, the Apostle Paul, who Jesus sent out to start the church amongst the nations. You see, last week we saw the big grand picture. We exist for God's glory by God's grace. We saw how we're made for God and the only way we can truly do that right is if God completely saves us because we've rebelled against Him. That He does it all. We can't earn our favour. That He has given us something we don't deserve. This means Jesus has to be the factor in all our decision making. His number one priority, His mission to the world, we'll see today, has to be our number one priority. And why should we care about this? Why should we care about sharing the gospel of Jesus? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little bit of chapter 6 as well. We're going to look at that and what I want us to see is four motivations for us at Grove to make mission our priority. Uh, the outline that you did have in, in originally um, is, a, is a, I think, a talk I'll keep for another time. But I wanted to actually get us really thinking about our motivation. Because what we did when we started Grove is we kind of made 2 Corinthians chapter 5 the chapter in which we shaped everything around to give us that focus. We made chapter 2, uh, verse 5, verse, uh, chapter 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, the very focal point. And we did that because there are motivations in this chapter that are very worthwhile for us to look at. If you uh, don't have the outline in front of you, if you look on the next screen, I've just put these four motivations there on the screen, which is what we're going to consider today. The first one comes from the, uh, the serious side, the fear of Jesus, and then we get into the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the day of Jesus. 
And we're going to look at that a little bit further today. My hope is that you'll be convinced of the need for a passion for mission. Not just a mental ascent or something that the church that you go to is involved in, but that you as an individual are completely captivated and overwhelmed by the understanding all of God's people are to have this in their heart. So hopefully you'll come along with me and let's see how we go as we consider these uh, four things together. The first one, oh actually, and had 2 Corinthians 5 open in front of you. We're just staying in there today. Have it open in front of you and look there with me. There are Bibles at the back. Feel free to get up now and grab one if if you'd like. Uh, But let's have a look at it together. The The fear of Jesus is our first motivator. Kind of sounds negative but it needs to be there. Let's have a look. First, uh, verse, uh, verse 9 to 11. We make, so we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. What's the point Paul is making here? You see, the context, first of all, of 2 Corinthians is he's talking to the Corinthians because there's these kind of super apostles, these guys who have kind of come in and say, we've got what's going on with the church, we can be the leaders of this church, and we think Paul is getting a little bit too over top with all this Jesus stuff. This whole completely focusing in on that, living for Him, in a really shortened uh, explanation of what's going on, they're wanting to question. And Paul can't let that stand. And here he's saying to them, there is a judgment. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will come before Jesus. That's what we're confronted with in this passage right at the beginning. And it's confronting for you if you don't even know whether you think God exists or whether you think the whole idea of God and Jesus is good but the idea of judgment you don't like. It's confronting. But it's not just something that we need to see out there. Paul is making the point that You're completely saved by grace. We established that last week. It comes out in this verse as we get to the message later that God does it all. You're saved by that, but then when you you, uh, encounter Jesus, is your life going to be one of, yeah, I'm saved by Jesus, but I've lived a life of rejecting Him? No, we all are going to have to take account for what we've done. It's not to earn our salvation, but we still all go before the Lord of all, rightly. You see, this is a motivator for mission, Paul's saying, because people don't need Jesus if they don't think there's a need for Him. And he's saying, we know in verse 11, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That is, we know who God is. He is the Creator and Lord of all things. He is 
bigger than you and I can imagine. He has everything in his hands. Everything that happens, he is behind. He is wholly, completely distinct to us. Nothing evil or wicked or distasteful can get anywhere near his presence. And so we understand there's a right fear to that. And we know that we are fallen. Last week, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We saw in Romans. We are nowhere near that. Except that Jesus does it all for us and transforms us. And so because of that, he says, we try to persuade others. We want others to hear and realise, you know what? You do need Jesus because there's something that you're wanting to push down and not even admit is a reality. Some of you um, uh, in older generations may have grown up thinking, there is a judgment and we got told about it all the time. And the church that I went to was all fire and brimstone and if you don't live for God and even if it was a works kind of idea, you must be good and if you don't, you're going to hell. I've had conversations with um, parents when they were growing up, that's kind of the way it was presented to them. Our culture today is... There's no need to worry about it because it's not even an issue. It's not even going to happen. That's what we're speaking into. See, the problem that we have is what I call the dentist syndrome. I don't have a problem with my teeth if I don't go to the dentist. Have you done that? Yeah, (laughs) that was more nod. That's concerning the amount of nods I saw then. Uh, Maybe next week we've got to sign up for the dentist. But... See the reality, can you see that, the point behind that though? Is that actually a reality? He says you do know. And so if you do know that it is a reality, you persuade others. If someone in your family's teeth is literally falling out, are you going to say, no, no, your teeth are fine, or snap out of it, stop being a big wuss, go to the dentist and get your teeth fixed up? We persuade. Now, persuade is far from manipulation. I found a very helpful a description of what the, the difference between persuading and manipulation is. Persuading is that you want someone to, to agree with you and then say the next day or the next week or the next year, they know why they agree with that now. They're on board with it with their own mind and thinking. Manipulation is you don't care about that, you just want them to do your will whether it's by emotional blackmail, whether it's by deceiving with facts or whatever it is, that doesn't matter to you. Because when you want to persuade someone, you want them to say, ah, I get it, for this reasons I want to own this and I understand it for myself. The fear of Jesus is something that we must remember. And it should motivate us not out of guilt, not out of this cowering fear in the corner, but because we know how great God is, how holy He is, and how the reality of judgment is real. That's the first reason why we want to persuade others of Jesus. The second, the love of Jesus. If this chapter is the focus that we've had in this church... Verse 14 is the bullseye. 
Let me read verse 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who lived should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. You see, we keep on saying we are a community shaped by Jesus. That is not just some phrase we come up with because you've got to have a phrase when you start a church. It's because everything we do is determined by Jesus, who he is, what he's done, ultimately the love that he has for us. And that love shapes our love. If we don't have love like Jesus, we're dead which was a danger of the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. And we don't want to be like that. So we keep saying we're Jesus-shaped community. And right here, it's Christ's love that compels Paul to share the gospel, to share who Jesus is. Now, this love compels. You know, look, kind of literally, it's the idea of controls. It constrains. Not in a negative way. It's just that his love... I. I there's nothing else I can do. I'm willingly wanting only to do this because his love is so spectacular in what he's done for me. It's the idea of compassion that is gut-wrenching. Now, because it's not the greatest day today, you, you've got away with me not doing what I was planning to do today. Right at this point now, I was going to get you all to get up. I was going to take us all outside. There's this beautiful little, you mightn't have been out the back there, but there's a great oval and then there's this nice little um, concourse area up the top. And I was going to get us all to go up there and to look out and to see the houses which you can see. And to see all of those houses and the thousands and thousands of people in our community who we should have a gut-wrenching compassion for. That's what the love of Christ is about. If you don't know Jesus, what you're seeing today is why we're passionate about it, why we're not ashamed of it. You see, Paul goes on to say, this gut-wrenching compassion that I can't but share, Jesus, is because, in verse 14, we are convinced. See what I said before about persuasion? It's not just being manipulated into it. It's, I think this is true. I have every reason to think this is the case. That one died for all. Jesus took our place. And therefore all died. In him we have died. It's the substitution that is there for us all to see. It's more than a substitution because we're caught up with Jesus, did you see, and therefore all died. Let me break it down for you a little bit. We are convinced that Jesus died for all. We can't live for God by ourselves. We need a replacement. When I was playing soccer as a teenager and I slept, I had a really late night and I was really tired, and I got onto the field, and I was just so grumpy, I couldn't concentrate, and I was annoyed, and I just kept on pretty much hacking people and taking them down and getting a yellow card because I couldn't concentrate, I wasn't playing properly, I was rubbish, I got substituted. I got yanked off 
because we need someone to do the job that you can't do. They're literally taking your place, Michael. You're off. Head down. I walk off thinking, this is all my fault. <laughs> I needed to be substituted, taken place. We need that. Because we can't before, come before God a judgment and say, yeah, I'm happy to be here on my own back, God. I don't have any sin that is an issue. You and I are in complete relationship. I can't do that. Jesus steps in, takes what we deserve and deals with it for us. And therefore all died. Now we don't take this too far to say that we go all the way, that we were dead on the cross with Jesus. He took our place. But we are with him in that death. Now, many of you don't get sport and don't get why I like sport. And here's an illustration that you'll go, yes. My wife doesn't get sport half the time, right? And often, when my team wins, what do I yell out? Or when something good happens, I say, we won! We won! You didn't win, you goose! You're not even on... They're in another state. What are you talking about, we won? And I come back with her, yes, I did. I am part of them. We win together. They do it for me. I won. We won together. You think that's ridiculous. If you don't like sport, you don't get it. But here, that's fine. Therefore, all died. He's saying, we are in that with him. We're united with Jesus. That's what um, one of the themes of the New Testament is. We are in Christ. We are in him. His death and his resurrection. We are in him. And so... The transformation, why we have this gut-wrenching change of heart and attitude is because we're not ourselves anymore. You don't belong to your ambitions and your ways and your way of thinking. Look at the way verse 15 takes place. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. You're not on it about yourself anymore if you're in Jesus. But for him who died for them and was raised again... You are all about Jesus. There's no other option for the Christian. And why would there be? Why would there want to be? My life is Jesus' life. I live for him. He dies for me. I am with him. I live for him. That is my passion. Love must shape us. Paul's not saying this just to tell the Corinthians that this is how he is and they just want, he just wants them to know about it. They're followers of Jesus that he's talking to and he wants them to be taking on board this heart. Why? The fourth motivator is that message. You see, what is the message? The message of Jesus. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting uh, people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The message is unbelievably powerful. It's a message of reconciliation, of two parties who are in conflict. The conflict is because us rebel against God. 
And we turn, we want to be God. We go our own way. And God can't allow that or accept that. He's made us to bring Him glory. And the message we have is that Jesus, who deals with our sin, brings reconciliation. That our sins are not counted on us because in Christ, He has taken them. This is what we have. A message that brings unity, that brings peace, that brings friendship with God. Do you see that he said in his message how desperate he is for people to know the need of reconciliation? We implore, he says. Now, actually, I think where it says um, in, in our NIVs that we implore you on Christ's half, that use, um, it's not horrendously been added in, but that you actually isn't originally there. The only uh, translation, I think, the, Hol- the Holman, which is a, a new translation, which is actually quite good, ha- ha- doesn't have the you in it. But if we see it as we implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, I think that actually fits in a bit better with what the passage is saying. Because Paul's not actually saying to them, which is a few weeks ago how I did preach it, Paul's not actually saying to them, you need to be converted. We implore you to be converted. He's saying to the Corinthians who follow Jesus, our message is to implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's telling them this because they're supposed to have that message that they implore to others, that they are desperate for others to have. He wants them to know the message because they're ambassadors like Paul. To be an ambassador is to have a message. Not a message that you keep to yourself. Not a message that is good to share if you can. An ambassador is in another place sharing it with others so that they can see how wonderful that place is. This is the message that we have. And we're desperate for people to see the need for reconciliation. Lastly... The day of Jesus. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Co-workers, what the point I was just saying before about imploring, he's seeing them as co-workers with this message that they're to share. They're to share this message. And we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. He's going back to the great Old Testament passages and in, in community groups, we go back to Isaiah and see that and, and see that he's drawing on this time where it'll be for salvation, where people are to hear the message and take it on board. And that is now. It's the time that is when the Corinthians existed and when you and I existed. After Jesus' death and, re- death and resurrection, and when he returns. We are all in this time, and it's a great time to be in. Have you ever considered how blessed you are to be in this time? That it's great to be in a period of time where there's lots of people around who are anti-Jesus? Or do you live in a Christian mindset of how horrible it is? Because we've been given the message to share 
And there's lots of people who don't have it, so we can share it with them. And that's the privilege of it. It's a great time to be alive and to share the message. Because people need to hear it. We hate that God is rejected. But we have a message which says he doesn't he has a solution. Now is the time. That's why we're motivated. So this is how we're to think. This is what we should do at um, at Trinity Grove. Do you have that heart and that compassion? See, what does it mean to be a Trinity Grove member on the screen there? It means a commitment to being an ambassador for Christ. We want to see people become disciples. We are all committed to seeing people reconciled to God. That is actually why we started Grove. We want people to be reconciled to God and to grow more and more in their understanding of Him, to bring Him glory, to be an image bearer. We want many, many more people to live not for themselves, but for Him. To be honest, this is a pretty good number right now. You guys are pretty great. I enjoy getting to know all of you. I hope to get to know you a lot more over the years. It could be easy just to go, we'll follow Jesus now. We'll live for him now. This is great. Our people can come or not come. But it doesn't matter. This is a good number. What if we get too big? Well, then you need to throw out 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we are a church that is motivated by love. Christ's love. We want to go forward, not out of guilt, nor out of ambition, nor out of trying to look good or better than any other church or or impressive to the school or in any way like that. We want to be humble. We want to be less. But we want people reconciled. See, what's it look like for us? I think there's three specific tasks you should keep hearing at Grove. And there's one thing that ties them all together. They're up on the screen. We share, we invite, we welcome, and we pray above all else. See, will you commit to that with me if you're a follower of Jesus? You see, we share our lives with others because we want to share Jesus with them. Have you considered... It's good to know your story more than, oh, I always grew up in the church and, and so I just followed Jesus. Or, yeah, when I went to uni, I realized that I needed to follow God, so I started going to church. Have you considered that people love hearing stories about life and that we can consider how it was that we rebelled against God? That when I, was a t- when I became a young adult, I realized that God hadn't done enough for me if I'm honest with myself, and so even though I believe mentally uh, everything about Jesus, historically, I was ready to go down a path of ignoring him ethically and morally. And what transforms me was the realisation that God has actually done everything for me and that actually I was ignoring it. Have you considered what it was that turned your life around, that your faith how you, you came to trust in Jesus and repent, turn back to Him. That, that, that um, one coin, two sides of one coin, your faith and repentance. 
can you just talk about that just off the cuff are we ready to answer questions there's no doubt some of us have expertise and and, and some of us are from the scriptures given that given that task to proclaim it more boldly and there's opportunities to do that that's why we've got sundays where we're saying uh a sunday where if you can bring some along we'll give them every opportunity to hear jesus but we all need to be prepared to share our faith and it's not about guilt you think you're rubbish at it that's okay you know what you know friends i'm leading this church and I'm a rubbish evangelist. I'm so frustrated with how I miss opportunities, how I'm not good at talking to people about Jesus. And I just want to keep trying. I'm not just saying that to try and be humble. I actually see others who are really great at it, and I could tell you why they're great at it and how I struggle with that. Partly it's my personality. Partly it's because, I think sometimes it's because of my sin, actually, because I just go, oh, no, I don't want to have that conversation. And I just don't do it. But that's irrelevant. If we have the heart and we want to share. Is God bigger? Is God the one who actually is in control of all things? He is. It doesn't matter. And you know what? This isn't a call to say we need to do this. This is what's happening at Trinity Grove. Let me share with you some of the things that I came up with that's been happening. We're praying, uh, we're praying for uh, people to come to church. I've had lots of conversations. They're saying, I'd love this person to come. We're spending time with friends trying to convince them. Uh, we bring, we had lots of people come and, and, and enjoy their time with us. We letterbox drop 7,000 houses at the beginning of our time. We've been helping our Sudanese and Burundi people understand Jesus. have got no idea of that. There's been conversations with people from a Muslim faith who are interested in about who Jesus is. We've invited friends from school, friends who haven't come, but they've invited and are still thinking about it, and we'd love them to come. We've had lots of families over for dinner, a person down the street. Someone was telling me they're down the street, and we thought, we should actually get to know them. We have st something in common. We like the same food. We'll, we'll actually have them over, and they stayed over really, really late, and, and it's been great all with the hope of sharing Jesus. We commit to teaching kids. The all-ages spot isn't a time filler. We want our children from the beginning, and all of us are committed to this. Parents, you are absolutely, and, and you better be. That's a serious word. <laughs> we are committed to children growing up in the Lord. Is there anything more important than instilling in our kids a love for Jesus? That's what we do. Jen's doing the Olympics this week. I don't know, Meredith, Meredith did the first 10 weeks, Amanda did the other weeks. And when we do it, we think about what is it the material we've got? Does a grace come through? Are they seeing they need to run the race and get to the end? We want them to understand that. We started with reading the Bible one-to-one, -one, not out of guilt to make everyone feel bad that you don't do it, but to open your eyes to opportunities. And I'll never forget Jeff, who's not here sick this morning, and he said to me, my friend had a Bible on, on, his, uh, on his coffee table, and I didn't even think of it, and, and Kat said, he's got a Bible on his coffee table, is he reading it? You're in your Bible? Yeah, I've just started reading it. Do you want to read it with me? Okay. That was a great story. We welcome at this church. We catch up with new people during the week. It's happened lots. I'm just giving you a picture that this isn't brain surgery or for the experts. It's our heart overflowing out into the way we sh uh, contact people. 
That's why we invite, because we want people to have opportunities. Grove is hopefully a great place for anyone willing to consider Jesus, that we love him. We're not ashamed to share it. There'll be Sundays when we're not that welcoming. There'll be a Sunday when, and you may have experienced this, there'll be a Sunday when you might have a conversation with someone and think, wow, I did that really badly. God's bigger. We'll go again the following week. We'll try and be friendly. We can over-smother people with welcoming. We can under. We can do all sorts of things. But you know what usually comes through with people when you invite them to church? Do they actually want to talk to me? Are they friendly? Do they care? And do they actually care about what they believe? We invite because we believe in the message. And we welcome because we want others to feel like they can belong. We welcome because we want our fellowship to grow. We know what's at stake. The way we think about this is, I said last week, each week talk about who's responsible for things, and Jack's responsible for us thinking about how we're glorifying God and magnifying God in all things. We break this one down into two. We think about mission specifically, sharing Jesus, which I'm, I, as a pastor, should take responsibility for. But along with that, when people come, we want to really help them come in and be involved and welcomed. And Amanda, who's with the kids again today, she's thinking about that as well. And, and it's been very helpful to try and see we want to do that well. We pray because we know people becoming reconciled to God is actually God's work. We just share the message. We don't get on the cross and do the saving. We need the saving. It's only the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that convicts hearts and tells others you need Jesus. Turn to Him. Will you commit to this heart today? If Grove is going to continue to thrive and prosper for God's glory, we will unanimously say yes. See, my vision and prayer for us is we will grow bigger than we can fit in here and we'll deal with all the options that we can do with that. My hope is we all think we've only just got started. We've only been going for a few months. Surely we'd still think that. There's so many things to sort out. There's still so many teething problems. There was quite a few issues for me this morning, little teething things that I should have sorted out, but that's the way it goes. Who cares? Let's keep going. My vision is actually we get smaller again before we get bigger. Because imagine if we could get to places. How good would it be for the gospel if we can reach out to everyone who lives further north than us? That we actually, built into our DNA, is wanting more churches to exist. Why shouldn't we want this? We are wanting to love God. Let's let the love of Christ shape everything that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are mighty. You are all-powerful, all-sovereign, in control of all things. We at Grove are humble servants of your Son, who have today again considered 
what matters to us. We want the love of Christ to shape everything we do. We know there's judgment, good and right and holy and just. We know the message of reconciliation. Your son brings everything uh, together in him that we can respond to him and trust in him and our sins won't be counted against us. Today, if that's, if that's us, that we would believe in that and know with confidence that that is offered to all. We live in a great time where we get to share the gospel. Father, we also feel weak, so help us to be bold. Help us not to think about mission as a guilt trip, but just an expression of our heart that we just keep going. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Amen.